Welcome to Your Voice Matters podcast. How your voice and communication help you succeed in life? It's the burning question of this season. This podcast aims to bring together the experiences of professionals who work with communication, voice and leadership skills, but in different perspectives. My name is Ines Moura, I'm an executive vocal coach and I'm the host of this podcast. I hope you enjoyed and you feel inspired. Welcome to this episode of Your Voice Matters podcast. Today I have with me Joanna Jonksma. Joanna is a communicator, communicator and public speaking coach with 13 years of experience. She started as a business English trainer for companies when she was just 18 years old. Now she's based in Denmark, but acts globally, working with keynote speakers, TEDx speakers, startup founders, and European Commission staff on a mission to help speakers to find their words. When she moved to Denmark in 2017, she joined the TEDx audience as a speaker coach, and she's also both a curator and speaker coach of TEDx audience women. Today, we will together demystify public speaking and know in the first hand about some backstage stories. Welcome, dear Joanna. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me, Inesh. It's lovely to be here with you. Joanna, tell us a little bit more about your personal journey as a speaker coach. What made you choose this path? Well, it all started with a bit of an accident, to be honest. <laughs> I was uh, at a job fair with uh, my boyfriend at the time who was looking for jobs. And he just said, well, print a couple of CVs. You never know. So there, there was um, the, the training center where I ended up working as an English trainer for the next eight years. Um, and I started out with literally zero experience in teaching anybody anything. Um, and and I, I found myself having to help people who were much more experienced than I was, not just at work, but also in life. Um, and, and having to help them be better communicators and better presenters in English. And it turned out that that was one of the biggest challenges they had and also one of their biggest needs from me as their trainer to, to find their way, to find their words in these stressful moments when they had to present in English. So that's how it all began. Um, and since then, this, this theme of finding words has been a recurrent one for yeah, these last 13, 14 years, because at the time it was about finding words where people didn't have all the words they needed. But now it's also about finding words from a multitude of words that we want to use, but maybe not all of them are necessary. So it's about picking the ones that are. Um, you are a word curator <laughs> <laughs> in a way yes yes I suppose so and and I find that that it's a need that people have everywhere not just because of speaking a foreign language and then okay you struggle to to find the right word in in a foreign language uh, and in my case that was English but mm -hmm. also 
finding the words that properly express what we want to express and who we are and words that that really represent us um and that's a challenge for many of us i think <laughs> mm -hmm. it is it is so you were a teacher and then when they when for example tedx enter in your life for preparing speakers mm -hmm. for you know larger audiences what was the uh, turning point or any specific moment where you find out no i want to be you know uh, a public speaker a trainer it, it's nice that you asked this because it it comes also as a turning point in my life. Um, I joined the the TEDx Onse community when I moved to Denmark, and I was very fortunate to be able to move here without the pressure of finding a new job immediately. So I had some months where I could just think, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to to do with this fresh start. And I have my husband to thank for that uh, because he created this, this space for me to breathe and find my way into a completely new place with new people um, and a new phase in my life. So then I joined TEDx and it was more as a way to have something of my own in this new setup because most of my connections were, of course, his connections, uh, mm -hmm. his family, his circle of, of collaborators, and I needed to have something for myself. So I joined TEDx, and it was a way to rekindle my passion for working with speakers, except now it was not so much about the language, but about the messages and the stories that came out. Um, so it was also a great way for me to make friends um, and, and get to know some really special local people in Denmark uh, mm -hmm. through, through the TEDx community. Um, so yeah, it, it was a first start and it was a turning point in the way that I looked at communication and the way we bring out these stories because it was suddenly not so much about um, having the perfect expression or being grammatically accurate or all these things. It was more about being self-accurate. So am mm -hmm. I really saying what I want to say? <laughs> I love that expression, to be self-accurate. Um, and it, it's so interesting because I guess that when you know these people, you know, so it's a way to know their stories, you know, better than anyone. Uh, so you have the you have the privilege to hear the stories and then to help them craft the story in a way. Mm -hmm. So that should be very interesting also to know people from you know the place and their lives and their stories. I have never worked with a speaker who hasn't also become my friend. I must say, and that is because we spend so much time together for a TED talk. It's maybe a few months two, three months where you meet almost every week or every other week. That is a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. So it's very often not just the story that makes it to the stage that you get to hear, but hundreds of other side stories from that person's life that all contribute to my understanding of who they are and, and how I can best help them represent themselves when they get on stage 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all of this, of course, leads to to new relationships that that are very deep, very profound, because you you dive right in from the beginning. There's very little small talk in this coaching process. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You go deep very, very soon in the process. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because many people that give TED Talks uh, or TEDx uh, Talks, they, they are not professional speakers. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are experts or they are, you know, they are very into one subject and it's sometimes difficult for them to try yes. to, to express themselves in a way that they can be understood by, you know, any, <laughs> by uh, everyone. So, yeah, especially for a general audience, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually look for people who are too busy doing what they're doing to spend a lot of time on stages talking about it. So for us, that's even, well, not, not a criteria per se, but if we see that somebody's really into their thing, it really doesn't matter how much experience they have. So it's much mm-hmm. more important that they are doing something uh, unique. Mm-hmm. This is the curator part where you try to find, I would say, talent exactly. <laughs> in the content who are these people that the stories they have, the experience yep. they have that's worth bringing to a stage and mm-hmm. to, to, to share, to share the message. Yeah. So how do we, this is a very a question. I never did this question. So how do you find these people? So what is your database? Oh, <laughs> Where do you find lo- TEDx speakers? Lots of hours on the internet. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, just browsing from link to link. Uh, and at some point you don't even realize oh how did I get here Uh, but we also get people recommended to us there's Mm -hmm. um, a proposal form that's open year-round and we collect proposals there and when we start to prepare for a new event we go through all the suggestions Mm -hmm. we don't always manage to answer everybody but we do go through everything and then the good thing about our TEDx organization, I know that different uh, TEDx events do it differently, but we work with a team of speaker coaches um, in audiences. So then we kind of uh, split, let's say, um, between themes. So if somebody has a passion for, let's say, sustainability, then Mm -hmm that person will also be more aware of what is happening in the sustainability space. So it'll be easier for them to reach out, even to ask others for recommendations. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we ask former speakers Mm -hmm. for recommendations. Do you know somebody that you've worked with or who is a colleague and could be a speaker for us, um, for example? Mm -hmm. Or even Mm -hmm. just cold calling or cold emailing organizations that Mm -hmm. uh, do significant work in a particular area. I don't know. I said sustainability. It could be mental health. It could be, um, I don't know, equality of different kinds. Um, But even more science-y areas, Mm -hmm. we... We had an event. Uh, I'm uh, I'm going uh, a bit uh, beside the <laughs> the question no, no now, problem. but <laughs> speaking of backstage stories, our event uh, our event last year got cancelled because of Corona, and mm-hmm. we decided not to not to run it online. But one of the speakers that I was working with there is a nuclear scientist, mm-hmm. um, and that is like one of the the 
nerdiest uh, talks we were going to have where he was going to explain how to use a different kind of nuclear reactor that can change the way we produce energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's also, you know, a side of things. <laughs> I was asking what what is your topic? What is the topic that you like to, you know, if you have to take care of any area of uh, our subjects? is like science or it could be science it could be um something that just generally benefits society so um yeah sometimes that's just an awareness of a certain subject we had for example um a speaker uh, at TEDx on the women Uh, Purnima Luthra, she spoke about generational intelligence and why that is something everybody needs to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's it's generally things that that can help society move forward. Um, mm-hmm. And that can come from different directions. It can be arts. It can be science. It can be something that everybody should do, a small change that everybody can make in their lives to to make the lives of everybody else a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving society forward is <laughs> very, <yeah. laughs> very noble, very noble area or subject or anything, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done. Um, and it's interesting because you you have to sometimes to deal with people. They are very good in what they, they do. They can be scientists or, you know, as you said, in different areas. Mm-hmm. And when we see a TEDx, we think like these guys are really good. You know, they <laughs> they are professionals or and sometimes we don't <laughs> know that they, you know, they have lots of help and they have supported by this yes. team. And so did, did you have any 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 case or any example of someone that was really, really, really good, you know, in what he or she was doing, but then you cannot, you know, work, uh, or it was very hard to, to be a speaker, you know, even if you know a lot of other subjects. So do you have any, uh, I would say a, a case where you struggle to really help someone or they were so nervous that I can't do this, for example? Yes. So this- I've, I've had a few, Uh, a few speakers who were very nervous and sometimes not immediately obvious that they were nervous. Sometimes stress takes us by surprise. Um, so I've had a situation with a speaker who was really okay with everything except on the day of the event. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember uh, this was still before Corona. So we were physically together at the event Um, and I remember standing beside her um, and I have this thing, I, I wait like when the speaker is waiting to be called to the stage, I wait there with them and I kind of have my hand on their shoulder just to make sure they don't go before they're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> so if they start to go, I hold them back. <laughs> and I had my hand on, on her shoulder, on her back. And I could suddenly feel like while she was standing there waiting, I could suddenly feel everything becoming really, really tense. And that mm-hmm. is a moment when you can do very little mm-hmm. to, to work with that. So the most I could do was just to be there with her and to hope that, you know, my presence there would do something to calm her down a little bit. But it was a bit of a surprise because until the, 
the moment of getting ready to go on stage. She was just cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can happen. There have been speakers who have been very nervous. And then, of course, I knew it. And we can take steps to help with that. At a speaker whom I met um, every day for two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. So the talk was ready but just to, to rehearse, to practice. So we said, okay, every evening at eight o'clock, we meet for 20 minutes. It's all we need. Hello, hello. We do the talk and then we say goodbye every day for two weeks <laughs> before the <laughs> event. So yeah. that was also uh, an experience. But yes, so it, it happens. It happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. And do you have the same process for all the speakers or some of them, they need, you know, that two weeks intensive every day, like practicing, or you can like spread a little bit more the training or you ask the speaker, what is the best, you know, I I get to learn it. I get to, I get to see with, with each of them, how they work. Um, And some people will, will say it from the beginning. I'm a nervous person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get nervous when I do talks and then we know that we, we need to deal with it. Um, other people, well, they don't really want to admit it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally in a coaching process, they, they get to, to face what, what is really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not exactly the same for every person, but it's not entirely different either, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think where the differences are, are especially in how the story is brought to light. Mm-hmm. But once that happens, once we have the story, once we fine tune all the words and everything, after that, it's just basic practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start practicing I guess the delivery like the body language the you know the other aspects of the uh, to deliver the message in a more convincing and comfortable way mm-hmm. exactly and I guess you spend most time like doing which part like the message part the building the story or then the you know the body language the even the voice It depends how much time we have. Um, I think a lot of speakers underestimate how long they need. Mm -hmm. And with many speakers, a lot of the time is spent building up the story. And then the rehearsal, the practicing part, the, the becoming accustomed to the talk is a little bit more under their responsibility if there's not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But if we do have the luxury of time, then I like to be there with them and to, to join them in this process. Um, so then either we, we book sessions in or sometimes I've even worked with uh, video recordings if mm-hmm. we can't meet uh, where people send in little recordings or we do a combination mm-hmm. of the two. Um, sometimes we mm-hmm. bring you in <laughs> <laughs> and for, yeah. for voice coaching. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really a process. And you said that many speakers underestimate the time that will take. And I would say not only for TED, 
TEDx talks, you know, not for only in general. In general, people underestimate a little bit, and I think yes. we can agree that people associate public speaking a little bit with a painful <laughs> process. I would say a like, nuisance. <laughs> exactly, like why I'm doing this, <laughs> and uh, I think what uh, what we do is to try to do it in a more, you know, for them, a, a pleasant process and a journey of transformation and to discover that they they can do it, actually. But I, I guess that many of people, you know, many of us that we are listening to this podcast, uh, they are thinking, maybe I'm not, not, I'm not the right person to be a public speaker, or I'm not, I don't have the, mm. the skills to, to do it because, I don't know, I'm not a natural or I'm not, you know, I can't do it. And what are your thoughts about it? What is what it does it take to be an, a good speaker, or uh, I would say a natural speaker? <laughs> This is a good question because a good speaker is different for different people. For me, a good speaker is a teacher, is somebody who shows me something new about the world, about how something works, or something new about myself. But for other people, a, a good speaker is an entertainer, um, mm -hmm. somebody who can wow them, somebody who can surprise them, somebody who uh, can be very bombastic. It, it depends very much on personal taste and, and on personality, I think. But whichever way it is, It needs to come from a position of, of companionship and of generosity and, and of low self-orientation. And that means that I, the speaker, need to care about the experience that my audience is getting more than I care about looking good, making a good impression, uh, mm -hmm. setting myself up in a certain position before the audience. And this is very difficult to do because it's our first preoccupation as speakers most of the time. Is my shirt right? Uh, <laughs> from like from these very basic things. What yeah, do yeah. I do with my hands? Yeah. Um, do my slides look good? It's all me, me, me. And it's exactly. a natural reaction. It's a normal reaction. But if we want to get to the next level, we have to move past this. So <laughs> this is this is where where the line is for me between really being uh, a speaker that is loved and that people want to to be with. Mm -hmm. um, and this is also what what in the end makes the experience more enjoyable because not just the applause and the great feedback that you get, but also it is an, a more enriching experience for us personally when we put ourselves aside a little bit and we look, okay, what is the value that I really have to give? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned generosity and also less self-orientation. So mm -hmm. I remember that you uh, once I, I heard you speak about the trust equation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think it can be applied to any speaker or to any context. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about that? So mm. I have to trust, you know, that 
in the speaker. I have to, I have to believe that it's real, that it's, you know, uh, I can trust them. I can trust the message. I like them. So we have a lot of things when, when we see a speaker and how do you work with this, you know, to build trust when they are on stage? What are the main ingredients I would say? Mm, that's a great question because we were talking about this in this context of um, people who are experts and need to build up this credibility uh, around what they're describing or their presentation. And the whole point in the trust equation was to see that credibility is actually just a part of trust. And trust is um, in reverse proportion with self-orientation. So the lower the self-orientation, the higher the trust, because it means I care about you more than I care about myself. Um, and this can sound like a bit of a cliche. I think it's, it's something that's been maybe thrown around a little bit that you should be generous as a speaker, but what does this really mean? Um, and for me, it was starting from, from this, like caring a little less about how good we look and starting to get to know the audience because if we don't know them, we can't really care about what they care about. Mm -hmm. So these two elements in the trust equation, this low self-orientation and getting to know the audience, this leads to an intimacy element, a closeness that can help to build up this trust between speaker and audience, knowing that I've got you you're the audience but you're not here to agree with me or mm -hmm. to do what I tell you to do because I'm here on the stage or on the mm -hmm. virtual stage and this is what I say but because I have your interest at heart and it starts the I think maybe 70 80 percent of the work of a speaker has to be before they even start building their talk because mm -hmm. it is about knowing who the audience is mm -hmm. and this means talking to them it means asking them what do you need uh, of course in different words in different ways but that's the general idea mm -hmm. in order to see what what should really be in this talk what or mm -hmm. training session or whatever and one of the things that people care most sometimes is starting by the PowerPoints. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you see this mistake? I guess with the TED, TED Talk is, is different because you have to actually add the talk and then just do the, yeah. you know, the, the supporting uh, material. Yes. But yes. people care a lot about what's in the slides. And I see this from my clients too. Yes. So I, yes, I have the slides. I have my message. I have everything organized. I have a lot of mm -hmm. you know, information, but they didn't think about what you were said saying that what is exactly who is my audience or what do they care about mm -hmm. um they have the information yes. to get across but they don't think in deeply what are the needs of the audience and what should i choose from this to give them as a gift mm -hmm. you know as a present um because it takes sometimes i guess some effort and i i guess that many people are 
now listening and, and thinking, I don't have time you know, to, pre to prepare all my meetings in this way. So <laughs> what, what can people learn a little bit from a TEDx preparation that they can, mm. for example, use in everyday life, you know, in a nutshell or in a condensed, uh, like the principles, like I would say. Mm. I think what's most important is to remember that if we want people to take on board some complex information, like, I don't know, um, a sales report or targets for next year, or maybe the results of, of some research that they've been doing, this is all hard data that's generally It, it takes some, some effort and some concentration to assimilate. If we want people to, to take that on board, we have to have them on our side first. And that means establishing this trust, this connection, before we expect them to give us their confidence in, in what we've done, before we expect them to give us our attention. Um, to go through the entire uh, Excel sheet of sales targets or whatever it is where, where we want them to do. So mm -hmm. connect first, um, be together first, and then, yes, people will follow. But we need to have that, that first step. And this is maybe the, the lesson of, of storytelling and not just from TED Talks, but from... The entire evolution of our species stories have been the primary way of passing down information from generation to generation don't go down that valley because there's a it's in the territory of a lion hunting there so it's dangerous but before mm -hmm. we get to that part first we have to draw in the attention and the the trust of the person listening to us mm -hmm. And it's interesting because storytelling is actually a way to establish this rapport with the audience, to establish a common ground because we understand information through stories, right? The easiest is the way. easiest way for for our brain to process information through stories. And here, there's something that I should mention because I think storytelling has become very popular. It's also on its way to, to becoming a cliche this mo at the moment. Mm -hmm. And people think that just by coming up, like when they have to do a presentation for their colleagues at work, uh, if they say, I will now tell you a story, then suddenly everybody's in storytelling mode. <laughs> and you know, and framing framing like that <laughs> and it's not only not enough but it actually damages the experience it breaks the spell if if you tell somebody now I'm going to hypnotize you obviously they're not going to be hypnotized so don't announce it please do not promise like cross your heart and you know please put your right hand on the bible and Promise me you will not say, now I will tell you a story because it breaks the spell. We need to draw people in one little step at a time. Um, and it is a little bit scary to just start with something. Um, without this, we, we kind of feel the need to make introductions for everything. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and this is another killer of good presentations and good talks because by the time we've done all our introductions, our time is up and we we don't have time to say what we really want to say. <laughs> and people fell asleep yes. <laughs> in the meanwhile. Exactly. So just start, but it does take preparation and it does take practice because this is not something that comes easy. So we need to get used to it and we can't get used to it if we don't practice. That's, that's an excellent point. Uh, we <laughs> have to practice. I'm a, a huge defensor of uh, practicing. And uh, I know that people, when we see someone which, which is very natural and very comfortable on stage, we don't see the invisible work, you know, behind the scenes, behind the stage, where, you know, many hours of thinking about what is the right story and the right way to start the story. Yes. Yeah, it's thousands of hours it's it's amazing but the thing mm. is it's very transformative and i mm. see the speakers they know it's like when you when they find their words it's like they find their voice they find a way to express themselves yes. in the world so i imagine that uh going through this process of preparing a presentation can really transform someone mm. uh, and they become more self-aware about their own strengths and their own story and the power of their experience in a way that they never imagined if they didn't have to tell another to other people um, that, that story. So I guess uh, for what I see from my clients, for example, is that after they do these kind of things, they first they are very firstly they are very afraid, but then they start enjoying like you know giving speeches or I would say to share more about them in a mm -hmm. more personal side, because mm -hmm. I see many executives um, having everything super memorized and they, they think that can, they can't afford to make a mistake or to tell mm. something that, I don't know if you see this, but I have one yes. client back in Portugal. He was a director of uh, a, a company, a huge company, and he was the youngest of the directors. So he was promoted, he, he has been promoted uh, recently. Mm -hmm. And he was like delivering these presentations, not only for the company, for the team, which was huge, but also for the, the board member, the senior leadership. Mm -hmm. And he was really afraid to do, to try anything new because it couldn't fail mm -hmm. in his mind. And I remember the first session we had, I was, he has, he had everything prepared. I never saw anyone yeah. like with everything on the paper written very, you know, perfectly. But the thing is, it was so boring I, I was like oh my gosh it's perfectly boring and I yeah. remember looking into his eyes and uh, and said okay uh you you have you, you you have to choose you know we have two paths one path is uh you don't like try anything new you stick with you, your your plan you memorize mm -hmm. everything but the thing probably will you will not connect in the long term it's like it, it's it's going to you will be the you will deliver but it's not going to be memorable mm -hmm. and the other way it's maybe not the easiest way but you you, you have to transform your speech mm -hmm. you have to transform the way you communicate not for only for this moment but in the future in and it takes courage so mm -hmm. I asked him, what, what do you prefer? Like, I, I was a little <laughs> bit provocative. And he looked at me, you are doing coaching, aren't you? <laughs> like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> Answer the question. Do you want to do, to do this right? Or do you want to be yeah. like every, everyone else? And he mm. made the choice. I remember he was like, 
very whitish, you know, in the face. He was like sweating, nervous, and, like, <laughs> nervous. And I was like, he said, uh, uh, "Okay, let's let's do it, let's do it." <laughs> and it was amazing because yeah. it was I don't know many sessions, how many sessions, like about eight, uh, sixteen hours, mm-hmm. just rehearsing for preparing yes. for a presentation. And it was amazing. Like mm. uh, he was really feeling confident, you know, after yeah. that, it was another Wonderful. person. It's not yeah. because the speech was, you know, better or, you know, has the better things, but the way he felt about himself. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. one of the wonderful, the the amazing things yeah. that I think we, we can see in our speakers. Yeah. And did you, do you have any story about someone particularly that you saw this transformation, you know, being more insecure, more uh, mm-hmm. uh, to someone that became more yeah, self-important. I, quite, quite a few. I think most, most of them. And I've heard this from many of the speakers that I've worked with. That the whole process helped them um, go on this journey of of self-discovery in many ways, and. I've, <laughs> I can remember uh, this one speaker that, uh, that I was working with. She um, was the first Scandinavian woman to climb the Everest and come down alive um, mm-hmm. in a very special year. In, um, I think it was 1996 when there was a huge storm on Everest. There were many people who died. So it was quite, quite a challenge. And... She was already a person who, through that experience, knew herself very well and, and who she was. And then as a speaker, she wanted to, to communicate the conclusions of all that. So mm-hmm. the audience would have heard just the, the end result of, mm-hmm. of her journey and it took a while. It was very much a, a getting to know you process for, for both of us to see what were her values, what were her, her internal processes through all these experiences and help her to kind of see that if she wants the audience to follow, they have to literally walk in her footsteps. Mm-hmm. So the talk had to be more about her experience on the mountain than about her uh, mental process that became the result of that mm-hmm. and, and her method of preparing for Everest and so on, because everybody had to experience everything she had experienced, albeit, of course, in, in a in a uh, how do I say this as a proxy by proxy yeah mm-hmm. um, so it was not only about her identity but her identity as a speaker so mm-hmm. what she had to to do for her audience but there are of course I had um, another speaker who started speaking of slides she started with about 52 slides and ended up for a for a talk of 10 minutes um, and ended up with using none of them uh, because slowly, slowly she realized that the presentation is her, not Mm -hmm. the slides. And it was all about what story she was telling. Um, But that took a lot of 
peeling away different layers, um, all these introductions that we were talking about and explanations of, of things um, where a lot of things can be complicated, but said very simply, if mm -hmm. you take the time to think, what's this really about? Um, and very often big words and complicated words are defenses that we build up to protect our social status or to project a certain image that we want to have in the world. And when we actually stop and say things very, very simply, we can get to that authentic place that you were talking about with your client where he could communicate himself in, in a more authentic way, um, which is more vulnerable, of course. Mm -hmm. But when people object to that, what, I, what I've seen works is, yes, let's be vulnerable, but let's be vulnerable and share the things that we have processed, the things that we have made peace with. Mm -hmm. If something is still raw, is still open, you've not really figured it out yet, then it's okay to, to not don't share open it. that wound mm -hmm. exactly but if there is something that you have processed and and you feel comfortable enough sharing it with others then that is a a little piece of you that we can bring forward and uh and use as as a point of connection mm -hmm. with the audience um so that's where i would make the difference between being authentic in a way that's also comfortable for us and being authentic at all costs. I don't think that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. that, that's very wise. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think people are, uh, are afraid of being the vulnerability uh, because they think that they have to share things that they are not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And it's not the case that you choose yeah. how to be vulnerable. And of course, you have to go exactly. to think about it. You have to choose, you know, what do you want to, to and why? Mm -hmm. how, as, how is it going to serve the audience? And how exactly. is it going to be helpful to connect and to create some meaning around the, mm. the talk? Yeah. And, and this is also mm -hmm. about identity, right? If we, if we go back to how public speaking um, influences your identity and this whole process of getting to know yourself because without knowing really well who you are and what you stand for and which uh, which intimacy points you can afford to open up and which are still maybe you know open source and you should keep working on them without mm -hmm. kind of knowing all these things it's very difficult to really be present first of all because if you're on stage and you're always kind of preoccupied with everything that's difficult or maybe going wrong or what all these also what will people think about what will people you? think all these programs running in the background then you will not really be there you will be mm -hmm. split between what you have to deliver and all your worries running in the background so yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing excuse to get to know ourselves better, you know, to, mm -hmm. 
to be a public speaker. It's a, absolutely. It's a journey, it's a, an inside journey, an inner journey. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about things that our clients, your clients learn, but also what was maybe one key thing that you learn from your clients? Mm. That's a really great question because whenever I put the phone down or get off a Zoom session, I always, always take something away from my speakers. It's incredible to be in touch with people from so many different industries. Um, but I think if I was to, to pick one, it's a very humble feeling of being allowed into these vulnerable places because As I was saying earlier, not all the stories make it to the stage, but I get to hear a lot of them. So I've learned to respect those and to make sure that if I kind of push someone a little bit to open themselves up, it's not without their consent Mm -hmm. to do that. And reading reading the signals that that they give um, is something that I've kind of learned to do over the years. Um, and yeah, many of them have these life or death stories like Lena with, with Everest, Lena Gamelko. Um, but other times it's been very practical things like, um, I don't know, how to use a fab lab. Uh, how to use all the machines in a fab lab and what materials you can play with and what you can produce there. So that's also <laughs> been uh, something um, to, to hear about from people who know much more than me, like the nuclear scientist I was telling you about earlier. Mm-hmm. Now I know how a nuclear reactor works with a molten salt modulator. So- <laughs> Don't be a spoiler. I want to hear that talk. <laughs> You will, you will. I promise. I'm, I'm looking forward. The speaker is still on our on our list for whenever we can run the event. So, oh, good, good. Yeah. So many life lessons. Many, many life lessons. Yeah, we learn a lot from mm. other people and to hearing their stories. So, Joanna, it was amazing to hear your experience, your vision, your uh, all your perception about this process of being a, a speaker coach and where people where can people find you and your job and your work there's a blog i run called the speaker coaching diaries um it started out as uh an idea to share these backstage stories with uh, with everybody else um also part of this um intention I have to demystify public speaking to show that TEDx speakers and keynote speakers everywhere also have all kinds of struggles and I don't know embarrassing moments or funny moments or uh, all sorts of things that happen to to everybody so there are a few interviews there with some of the speakers as well as I don't know thoughts of mine um, every now and then I've not updated it recently but more to come soon (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and that's also where people can find links to my social media. That's a bit more active on Instagram and on LinkedIn and on Facebook, uh, where things get published on a more weekly basis with little, little backstage stories from um, the projects that I have running. And they can always reach out to me um, either on the website, there's a contact page or uh, on LinkedIn, I answer all messages. So whenever they want to get in touch, I'm there. And I truly recommend your work and uh, as a Thank coach. you, Ines. Thank you. <laughs> you wanna, thank you so much for being my guest in this podcast. It was really a pleasure to have you here. Thank, thank you, you so for much. having me. I love this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Did you like it? If so, feel free to spread the word. To discover more about vocal coaching, you can visit my website, voicepowerleadership.com, or contact me through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And always remember, your voice matters. <laughs>